0: Hello and welcome to the Active Growth Podcast. This is our second episode in our new series about how to create irresistible offers. Today, we cover many topics that will help you create irresistible offers and get all the benefits that come from that. Among other things, we will cover in more detail what exactly the difference is between your product and an offer. We will also talk about how you can, once you have decided on a product idea or once you have an idea of the market you want to enter, how you can take that product idea or take the skills that you have and spin it out into multiple different offers. And we will give you a framework and clear action steps for how to test those offers to find out which ones are the best ones. Because as is often the case, the way to arrive at an irresistible offer is not basically to think your way there, it is to test and see what works in the real world. So being able to create multiple offers is a very important thing. You wanna be able to create multiple offers and then test them so that you can find out for sure and validate which one is the most irresistible one. We'll also look at multiple examples of businesses that were launched with such test offers to validate before the real business was created and the product was created. And we'll also look at how you can put together a short pitch that you can use to present to people and use to create landing pages for validating your offers. All this and more in today's episode to get the show notes, the transcript for this episode, and links to many of the things we talk about during this episode, go to activegrowth.com forward slash 16. That is also where you can leave a comment, either by writing or leave a voice comment if you want to get back to us or ask questions or have any feedback. All that is at activegrowth.com forward slash 16. I'm Shane Malach. And I'm Hannah Furtwack. And in today's episode, we will dive deeper into how to create irresistible offers now in the last episode we already talked about how you should avoid general offers where you try to kind of be everything to everyone and niche down on a more specific idea and with a clear focus and today we're going to continue on that and give you more tools of how to get clarity about first of all how to come up with different offers different potential offers that you can already put together and also how to evaluate them how do you pick the best one how do you find out what will eventually end up working so we're talking about testing the market value of something and and basically again getting to that point like we talked about last last time you want to get to that point where you have this hell yes kind of offer right where you can make an offer to people that they just cannot resist that they really really want where they're not just like yeah that sounds good they really have this hell yes moment when they hear what you have to offer so let's start by first of all talking about kind of the difference between what what is a product and what is an offer and how you know because we've already talked about this is these are not the same things right we're not talking about when i say find the right offer or make a good offer um, i'm not Saying that, you know, one offer could be, oh, I'm selling a pencil and the other offer is I'm selling a banana, right? The two totally different products. So those would be different products, pencils and bananas, different products. But different offers, you can think of that almost as a subcategory of a product. So, for example, different offers can be extrapolated from existing skills that you have or from the product idea you've already come up with. And by the way, if you don't have a product idea yet, then go back and listen to our earlier series where we talk about how to arrive at a product idea in the first place, right? And, so, and I'll link to that in the show notes, of course. So if, you, if you're listening to this thinking, well, I, I have no idea at all, I don't even have a product yet, then maybe you should start there. So as an example, if you have an existing skill that you know around this skill is where I will create my offer. Then to give you an example, let's say the skill is SEO, search engine optimization. This is, you know, in the olden days, right? One of one of the businesses I had was around this. Now, from a skill of SEO, from understanding how search engine optimization works and being able to do this for websites, there are many different offers that can come from that. So it could be an SEO online course, teaching people how to do that. It could be an SEO service, doing SEO for other people's websites. It could even be something like, let's say an on location SEO training for companies that have search marketing teams. And and even there, you can then refine the offer further and you can say, okay, well, maybe, you know, the problem is you've got your, your SEO team in your company, but you're worried about being able to keep up, right? Because Google, changes its rules all the time. The landscape is changing all the time. And you worry that your team is not up to speed. And the service I offer is I keep your team up to speed. So those would be different. That's an example of different offers within the same skill. So those aren't necessarily completely different products because the product is always search engine optimization. It's different ways of offering that product.
1: I think someone who's doing a really good job with this is uh, Bushra Aznar. Because she actually has um, a membership site around copywriting, about persuasive copies. So it's very specific to that. And that's, um, I don't know how much anymore, a $7.00. Um, per month membership but she also has like high-end consulting around the same persuasive copy and then now she comes out with a tool where it's actually you can fill out some copy and then you get persuasive copy in in return something like that so it's very specific but it's different offers around the same topic
0: and if you think about all the different offers that you might be able to to make around your, your skill set or around your product, then I want, I want you to think of it like this. There are probably dozens, maybe even hundreds, of potential offers you could make. And many of them are basically doomed to fail. right? Many of these possible offers you could make are offers that are just not economically viable. There's not enough people who are interested in that. People wouldn't be willing to pay for it or some other problem like that. And some of those possible offers are winners and some of them are great winners, right? Some of them are irresistible offers that could be the basis for a massively successful business. And the goal is to find those right among all the potential offers. Find the ones that have the most potential and will bring the most impact. And in most cases, we can't we can't just guess our way there. Right. As we've talked about before, generally, if we kind of just sit in our ivory tower and try to think our way to a solution of a problem or try to think our way to the perfect offer, it's just not going to work. Our our best guess is usually not that great. So that's that's another thing to, to keep in mind. And I think it's also important to you know not be too attached to like the first product idea and the first idea for an offer you come up with, because maybe it's one of those 90 plus percent of potential ideas that's just not going to work. Another way in which different offers can come from the same product or the same skill set is by presenting the same thing using different value propositions. So this is, let's say, one level deeper in terms of detail, right? We have essentially a product that does a specific thing and we're We're trying different ways of framing the value of that product to see which one hits home. To give you an example, from my own experience, let's take Thrive Themes as a business and the Thrive Architect plugin as a product. So I can frame Thrive Architect, I can formulate different offers and different value propositions around this product without changing anything about the product. So I can say, for example, Thrive Architect is the perfect tool for creating sales pages in WordPress. So if you've ever tried to create a sales page using WordPress, using a WordPress theme or something like that, it's an unbelievably frustrating experience because WordPress is just not built for that kind of thing, right? WordPress is, is great. Like the WordPress editor is great to write a blog post, but as soon as you wanna like format a, a sales page, you wanna have some some layouts there, you wanna have control over what that page looks like, and you want even things like you know pricing tables buttons and things like that becomes incredibly frustrating in WordPress and Thrive Architect is the solution to this problem. So that's one way to frame Thrive Architect. I can take the same product and and make a different offer. I can say Thrive Architect is the tool for professional bloggers. Because as we've seen over and over again and there's a lot of data to support that, rich blog posts that means well-formatted, media-rich blog posts that offer more than just a wall of text do better across all metrics. They get more attention from readers. They lower the bounce rate on your website. They get more social shares. They get more traffic and they lead to higher conversions if there is some conversion goal involved in the blog post. So you cannot afford to use the WordPress editor to write boring old blog posts. You have to start Enriching your blog content with things like mobile responsive tables with interesting layouts with highlight boxes and so on to keep your content more interesting to keep people's attention but also to make it look more professional to make your brand more credible and to basically help give people a reason to share this give people a reason to keep paying attention and share with their friends. And that is what Thrive Architect can do for you that the default WordPress editor can't. So those are two different value propositions for the same product. And these are two that I could test. They would have different target audiences. And I would want to test it, which of these target audiences, when they hear this offer is more excited to give me money for this product.
1: Yeah, I think it's it's very clear actually. And I wonder if, you who's listening to this can feel the difference right like probably one of those two is much more appealing to you than the other one and that's exactly what we are looking for we're looking to see which of these offers would be the most appealing to to the biggest audience and for which people would actually be ready to pay money and here yeah i like i know which one i prefer (laughs) um but it's it's very clear, I think, that that when you hear the different pitches, that even though it's the same program, even though it's the same software, it doesn't feel the same at all.
0: Exactly. And also note that if I tried to, and of course, I could spin more such pitches for Thrive Architect, right, because it does more than sales pages and blog posts as well. So I could do many more of these. And imagine if I tried to convince you of all of these different values all at the same time, right? If I had one picture, I'm like, oh, you can build sales pages, but also blog posts and also landing pages. And also then it becomes one of these and trying to be everything to everyone offer. And that then I lose your your attention, right? Now, also these, these pitches I just made for Thrive Architect, these are, you can think of them like as, extended elevator pitches, right? It's it's more than just an elevator pitch, which would be one or two sentences. It would be an elevator pitch plus two or three follow-up sentences once you've gotten someone's attention. And this is the kind of pitch I want you to be able to create for your offers, for the ideas for your offers. So you need to arrive at, and this is one of the, we'll, we'll get to the action steps and the exercise at the end of this episode as well. But this is one of the goals is that you'll be able to write out concise pitches like the ones I just presented for Thrive Architect. These are the ones that you're going to be presenting and testing. Another way in which different offers can be derived from a single product or from a single skill set is that you can sell the same kind of thing in different forms. So two examples of that would be, first of all, let's say the thing that you're selling is information and information can be sold in many different ways. It could be an online course. It could be in-person training, one-on-one training or group training. It could be an ebook or a print book. It could be Skype coaching and so on. And again, this is another example where you're essentially selling the same thing. You're selling the same information, but depending on how you package it and, and whom you make the offer to, it will have very different uh, results, right? These different modalities of information will appeal to different people will be able to command different prices and will mean that you can reach more or fewer people. Now, an example of this would be a lot of authors also do speaking. Right. And they have these two modalities. One, the book, which is very low price and can reach a lot of people, but it's not very exciting. most people don't get very excited about a book. on the other hand, then there's the the speaking gig where you can go and see this person live, which is very limited, right? There's only so many people can fit in that room and usually much, much more expensive. And so you can see that these two modalities of information, even if essentially this author is talking about the same thing in the book and in the speech, appeal to different people are going to be sold to different groups of people and at totally different prices. The second example would be a physical product. Even a physical product can be sold, let's say e-commerce, right? People come to your website, they add whatever they want, however much they want to their carts, and they buy it. Or it can be sold, for example, as a subscription, right? We've seen a rise of subscription services, whether it's getting you know a new razor every month or new pair of underpants or whatever, subscription boxes of various kinds for physical products. Again, same kind of thing, you're selling the same thing, but different modalities appeal to different people, different situations and make for very, very different offers. All right, now that we have a basis of how you can spin your product idea and your skill set into different offers, the goal is to test which of these will be the best, which of these makes an irresistible offer. And the first thing you need to do here is, you need to know where and how to reach your audience. My first example here of where and how to reach your audience is that you have a social circle made of friends, friends of friends, relatives, coworkers, and so on. And that is one example of how you can reach maybe some people who would be in your potential audience. So if you have an idea for an offer through these social connections, you can maybe find some people. And we talked about that last time. That's actually one of the criteria, right? If, if you're, if you make an offer and you, you ask a friend, do you know someone who could use this? Do you know someone who might appreciate this? If they basically draw a blanket, go, no, no idea, then that's that's not a great sign. But if they know, oh yeah, I know this one, I know this one guy who who definitely has the problem you're talking about, that's a good sign. And also maybe you should go and talk to that guy as we're gonna talk about next. But I also want to bring something else up here because as soon as I mentioned this I bet some of you listening were like oh my god no <laughs> <laughs> because you you don't want to go and pitch stuff to your friends and there's there's a certain there's a certain fear of presenting this kind of thing or like pitching to your friends or social circle and and that is justified especially if you've had the experiences I'm sure you have of the kind of thing where you know people are like flogging some multi-level marketing nonsense and trying to get their friends to buy this stuff right and oh, it's like yeah. no i don't i don't want your bloody weight loss scam or whatever
1: <laughs> i was just going to say that that's one of those when somebody calls you and it's like well like you usually don't call me. That, that's mostly how that starts. We usually send text messages and then have a coffee together, but now you're calling me because apparently you have like this thing where you have to call ten people. And then you start with this script of like, Hey Hanna, you travel a lot, right? And I'm like, Yes, you know I do. Like <laughs> why <laughs> why are you asking me this? Wouldn't it be better if you could have the lowest price each time? And I'm like, oh, I'm G. Where is this going? Okay, I see where this is going. Let's not go there. <laughs> and, and I think it's completely different. Like I just want to because actually, that same friend now started um a, a children's clothing brand and which is amazing. It's like eco-friendly clothes. and and I have no problem sharing her, her Facebook posts and trying like ask my little nieces if they want to be actually like models for her brand and whatever. But when she tried
0: putting that MLM stuff on me, I was like, no, yeah, it's don't, so cringeworthy. Don't <laughs> and and so here's the thing, right? That the problem is that when we see a bad offer, and which is exactly what that is, right? It's a bad offer. If we see a bad offer, it's, it sticks out to us like a sore thumb. And it's terrible if we, it's cringeworthy. If you have to like sit through someone, and make a bad offer, it's terrible. And we don't want to be that person, which is good. That's, that's totally justifiable. Don't be that person. But here's the thing. What we, what we tend to miss is that a good offer doesn't feel like an offer at all. And that's why we have this idea. Mm-hmm. Well, anytime someone pitches something, I hate it. Because you only notice it when it's bad, right? And here's a simple thought experiment you can do think of a hypothetical product that is absurdly specific to your needs and think about how you'd feel if someone pitched that to you like let me give you an example right if someone came to me and said hey look here's a lightweight portable travel blender (laughs) okay i know that sounds weird but here's the thing I, i love green smoothies right i really love green smoothies very much so much so that if i'm when i'm traveling if i'm in a place for more than like three weeks i will go and buy a blender. just so I can have green smoothies for those three weeks. And I, I then inevitably have to leave it behind because blenders are huge and bulky.
1: And I can't travel with them. A lot of Airbnb hosts have been very happy. I, to find I a new have blender. literally, <laughs> I have
0: literally sponsored <laughs> my blenders to about a dozen Airbnb hosts at this point. Yes,
1: I have to say that I was in the opposite uh, direction, where somebody bought a blender just before me, and I was very happy about it. That's that. great. That's <laughs> great. Did you?
0: Uh, maybe that was me. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, for me. If someone told me, here's somehow, you know, don't ask me about the physics of this, but here's somehow a collapsible, lightweight travel blender, you know, I would be all over that. And, and of course, you know, as I said, this is like absurdly specific. I'm probably like the only customer for this in the world, but, but that's fine. That's what I mean is like, if someone came to, no matter if it's a friend or someone, even if someone like stopped me in the street and said, hey, I have a travel blender, i would be all over that. That's so good, right? That's exactly what I want. And this is how you should think about, you know, or this this hopefully shows you that, you know, a good offer is is, it's never cringeworthy and it's never unwelcome. It doesn't feel like an offer at all. It feels like, oh, my God, finally. (laughs) Right. That's what we're trying to get to. So as we talked about last time, if you're basically already starting to talk to people to see, you know, does this offer resonate with anyone that you know? um that's that's a way to start calibrating and you want to keep calibrating until you can get that effect until you can talk to the right person and they get super excited about what you're talking about right now another thing there's a few more things in which you can do this reaching your audience thing right so and it depends on what your product and your offer is in some cases in some cases for example just hitting the pavement very old school is going to be a good solution, right? It, depending on if you have some kind of an offer, for example, that is relevant to small business owners or business owners, you know, you can easily get out the house and go to all of your local you know, gyms or hairdressers or car mechanics or whatever and pitch your thing to the owners. And same thing here, right? These people will all tell you I hate being sold to. But if you come to them with something that is truly an irresistible offer that's really made for them and solves an important problem they have they will love that and they will want to hear more and that's that's where we want to get to and then as we've talked about in previous episodes of course there are options like you know uh, online groups um, people who manage online groups forums newsletter owners niche blogs websites and so on and so forth i just wanted to also bring this back because we've talked about this before but it's so so important that you don't just have a precise idea of what is my product but you can also very specifically point to a group of people and say these are the people that this product is for and here's where they hang out so that is again very very important to be very clear about when you create your offer
1: now the thing is that we've started out with the idea of being paid for coaching that's that's one of the methods that we use in order to get to a A product basically but the problem is that it's not because people will pay you for coaching that they actually will pay for an online program so it's still like shane already explained most of those modalities can actually fail because people might be interested in in what you have to offer but not at all the way you're offering it and that's why getting actual money is really important. Because talking to people is necessary. Having them to actually hand over money is the real validation that you need. Now, if you can go out, talk to people, and convince them to buy your offer, that's amazing, right? That's where you want to be. But there are some other ways that you can actually do this online, too. And one of those methods has been promoted by the 4-Hour Workweek, by Tim Ferriss's book. And the way that he suggests that you actually validate if your idea or your offer is a good offer is by having a landing page and sending traffic to that landing page. So mostly this will be paid traffic because you want to get a result quickly. And then from there, you can actually measure how many people would click the buy button. And this is something that I think it used to be easier, several years ago, because it was easier to buy traffic. But I still believe that this can work very well in very specific
0: niches. I think it can be very, it's like a, a hard test, right? Because, because buying traffic is generally becoming more competitive and more expensive, but if you can make that work, if you can get people to pay attention to your ad and click through and interact uh, in the flood of ads and so on that they're seeing, um, I think that's that's a hard but good validation.
1: Like we said making an offer to friends and family can can be very hard especially the moment that you start talking about actually exchanging money. But if you listen to Rob Welling from from Drip he actually did that to validate the idea before starting Drip. So he emailed his friends and asked them to pay a specific monthly fee for the service. So even before the service existed, he asked people not just to pay once, but to pay a monthly fee for the service. And he only started thinking and working on Drip once he had 10 people paying him. And that is super valuable. Because here it's not just somebody, your mom being like, oh, yeah, we'll give you $20. Don't worry. It's actually people committing to being like, yes, I'm going to pay whatever amount that you just set out every month because this is how valuable your service would be to me because it's not even a service at that point.
0: That's pretty ballsy. And I think there's also something that is implied here, which is, that is a networking thing, right? Because of course, when Rob Walling asks his friends, he asks his like entrepreneurial online marketing friends. And presumably he's built up a bit of a network. He's, he's hung out with people, uh, with like-minded people who would be in a position where that makes sense. So I think that's also another aspect where it can be really, really useful to maybe go to meetups and conferences and things where you do meet like-minded people. Makes this kind of thing easier to pull off, I think.
1: Well, that goes back again to knowing where your audience is. Exactly. Right? Yeah. If you have no idea who your audience is and how to connect with them, it's it's never going to work.
0: There are many examples, actually, of companies that started small and that started with this kind of validation. So Buffer is a pretty famous example, I think, where you know initially they simply had this very, very simple landing page advertising their offer as if it existed. And then once you clicked on one of the you know buy now buttons, then you'd get to a landing page saying, oh sorry, this this actually doesn't exist yet. And they basically wanted to see how many people would click and how many people would share. And a lot of people shared this. So so people got excited about the idea of this app existing and that was their signal to start. Uh, another example of this was Dropbox, where uh, this was a bit more sophisticated because they launched with a video where someone was using, quote unquote, using Dropbox, except Dropbox didn't exist yet. They basically created a prototype, like a simulation of what they envisioned the interface would look like. Um, or I think they maybe even rendered the whole thing like an After Effects, right? To make it look like someone using a desktop app, but it wasn't actually, uh, you know, it was all pre-rendered. And, and they used that to give people a clear idea of, this is the thing we want to build and again try to see how many people want to sign up for this how excited are people about this and only once they had that did they actually start building the tool now this is these are all things that are, that are worth considering and as you can tell like different methods here will make sense in different in different markets so this kind of simulation mock up thing makes sense for a piece of software doesn't make sense for many other things right so To give you some more examples, there are two examples out of my own experience that that might be useful. So my first product, I'll I'll link in the show notes to the course where you can read about. So this is like a mini course where you can read about how I arrived at my first product. And so I I won't go into a lot of detail in case you already know that. And if you don't, you can uh, go to the show notes and sign up. Uh, to, to read that but basically I had a slow approach to a product with you know kind of validating every step along the way through the content I created on the blog but then more importantly through free guides I would put out free guides on different topics and I would kind of feel out what are people interested in right which ones get downloaded more which ones get do I get more emails and, and replies about and which ones don't work and that's how I then finally arrived at a beta version of my product, got some feedback from early customers, and then had a final product. Now, this is a very, very cautious and slow approach. And in general, I don't recommend that you're so cautious. I recommend that you move faster, basically. But that's an example of how you, know, you can kind of feel your way forward and validate your way towards an information product. And then Thrive Themes is actually also an example where really it started with a product review. It started with a roundup review of visual editors. I tried to test all the visual editors that existed at the time for uh, for WordPress, and my conclusion was, well, all of them suck a little bit. <laughs> and <laughs> and in the <laughs> and in the comments um, in the comments on that review post. I started having discussion with people and some of them suggested, you know, why don't, why don't you make one? It seems like, you know, it seems like you've got this figured out and you've made, I'd made software stuff before and kind of out of that arose this, this idea that was the validation where people basically looked at this review and agreed with me and said, yeah, I've tried this, that, and the other, and it doesn't do what I want. Out of this arose the validation, the idea that yes, we should build, a thing of our own. There are people here that are excited about this.
1: I think what you're saying about your first product and like going through the whole slow approach, probably like one way to to shorten this a little bit would be instead of you writing all the free guides and free content, look what's doing well for your competition. So if you can see that one of their articles or one category on their website gets shared much more often or gets much more engagement or gets, then probably people are more interested in that. Yeah, absolutely. And another one, which is actually Kickstarter made a business model out of this because what Kickstarter actually is, is for physical products, a validation method. Because you're asking people to pay money even before the product exists. And you can immediately see, when you look at Kickstarter, some products, like they bump completely. And other products just get like funded 500%, right? And we're not going to go into the details of like how Kickstarter would work and how you can game the system and blah, 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 or how you need your own audience and whatever. At one point, if you get 500% of people like of your initial budget and thousands of people saying like, yes, I want to wait two months, three months, four months for this product to come out, you probably hit a good market pain point.
0: Yeah. and So that's also a good way to see examples of irresistible offers, right? Those are clearly well put together offers the ones that do so well. And so like kind of say, we're not going to go into a lot of detail. I wouldn't actually recommend for most cases wouldn't actually recommend using Kickstarter. There, There are many caveats there. And if you're interested, let us know in a comment. We can talk about that in more detail, but it would go beyond the scope of, of today's episode. Now with these validation methods in mind, the next important thing is basically it's time to interview people again. We've talked about this before in our Forget Traffic series of how you can how you can interview people and arrive at a profitable business much, much sooner than the traditional I'm going to build a website and do SEO for 10 years kind of approach. Um, and yes, you heard that right. We're talking about interviewing people again. You're probably thinking, I don't want to do that. <laughs> it's the thing you probably don't want to do, right? It's, it's We have resistance against the idea of having to get on the phone with people having to do interviews. It's kind of more attractive, I think, to tinker with your website a bit and do a bit more SEO, but it's time to interview people again.
1: Now, one of the advantages if you followed the coaching method, if that was something that fit in in the way you wanna do your business, right? Is that you will actually already have people that you can interview pretty easily. So it's one of those shortcuts and, and it's a way of not having to find new people over and over again also (laughs) so you can really go in depth with those people
0: and find out what a good offer would be for them so we've already talked about in the previous series about how to interview people to arrive at a product idea to find their pain points and things like that now when you talk to people to validate your offer there is so here the goal is you already have an idea of what you're going to offer and you want to find out What modality to use, how you're going to present this offer and what exactly you're going to be you're going to be offering at what price, that kind of thing. Right. And you want to be talking to people about this and presenting your offer and getting feedback from them. And you want to see, first of all, can you get people excited about this? That's that's really important, right? You should be in a situation where you start by presenting this extended elevator pitch I talked about before, and it gets people excited. They start asking you questions about it. They start asking you, you know, where can I get this? Or even, even if they ask critical questions, right? Even if they have objections, they go, hold on, you know, what about this or I don't know, that sounds a bit expensive or something like that. That's good, right? If someone's engaging with you, if someone's asking questions, even if they're critical questions, it means it's important. What they just heard you say is important enough for them to want to know more. And maybe they're even already starting to negotiate with you, right? Which is great. So what you basically don't want to hear is is crickets right you don't want to be sitting there going and, and then there's just like an awkward silence right after your pitch if you if there's an awkward silence after your pitch or if there's like a very lukewarm reaction it's like yeah that that sounds that sounds nice i wish you all the best with that right that's <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah it sounds like it might work for
0: somebody uh-huh.
1: just not for uh-huh. me exactly
0: so that's that's a bad sign right so ideally if you're, you know, if you're <laughs> sitting, if you're actually seeing them, you want to kind of see a sparkle in their eyes as you talk about your offer. And you want to see that, are, are they hoping that your product already exists? That's, that's where you want to arrive at. And again, you can do this through interviews. So you're talking to people, you're, you're telling them, listen, here's the, the offer I'm putting together. You give them your extended elevator pitch and, and then you just leave it at that. You give them your extended elevator pitch and, and then you pause. Because that's important, right? If there's an awkward silence there, then you you leave that for a few seconds and then you go, okay, clearly you're not excited about this. Can I ask you some questions, right? And then you try to ask, so, you know, clearly that this doesn't excite you. Why is that like, or is there something here? Is there something else that you'd prefer? Or is there something similar? You know, is there a similar product that you're already using? Is there a similar service you're already using? Why are you using that one? You know, what do you like about that one? This kind of thing, right? You want to start digging about why aren't they excited? But also as you're explaining and as you're talking to them about your offer, um, I mean, some of them will engage with you. And it's really mostly in this back and forth that you can learn more right from which questions they ask you, what they're interested about, what they resonate with. You want to see um, the things they respond to, the things they respond to positively, the things they don't respond to well. And from that, you can, you can refine your offer and you can do that, you know, kind of live. You can say, okay, I I hear that, you know, you've got a different problem than I expected. So what about this? And you give them your, you know, version two extended pitch and see how they react to that and so on. Right? So out of that, out of really just discussions with people, you can really refine your idea of an offer.
1: If at this point you're cringing a little bit and you feel a lot of resistance about going out and talking to people this way, I think there are two very important things to keep in mind. First of all, you are not your offer. So it's people aren't judging you at this point and if they don't like what you're offering that doesn't mean they don't like you. I know this sounds silly, but it's it's very often um, what happens when, when we have to ask for a, for a criticism. And we have a full episode about ego and why ego is not a good thing in business. <laughs> so I would really uh, suggest like listening back to that episode and it will really help to get over this hur- hurdle and actually go out, talk to people and be open to improving your
0: idea. Now, to make this even more hardcore, here's the next thing you should do. You should use the scientific approach in that the goal for you, once you I mean once you've honed in on something that works at least a little bit, right? That gets people engaged and excited at least a little bit, then start trying to disprove rather than prove your idea. So start trying to find why might this not work. And start trying to, to kind of dig for criticism so very simply for example you can start asking people what they don't like about your idea right ask them what would make you change your mind about this you know if for example you could if, if they like your product idea you can start asking okay well if i sold this for whatever 900 a month would you still be interested right and basically try to get to a no right what if start adding what ifs and and try to get to a note, start looking for the limits of this. I think this is very important because um, it's quite easy. So first of all, generally, people will be positive will be positive and polite. Right? They, they will more likely tell you, yeah, this is great. I like it. Um, then they'll tell you this is terrible and here are some points. <laughs> so you have to do some work to get to the criticism. And it's easy to fall into a confirmation bias trap, right, where you just keep Once you hit on something that might work, just keep looking for further evidence that, yes, this is definitely a good idea. But you might just be kind of disappearing into your own little bubble, into your own little echo chamber there. And if you if you can basically try and find, okay, what don't you like about this and try and really poke, Okay, well, would you sign up for this right now? Would you sign up for this at this price? you know, what if whatever, let's say, you know, what if the it's a coaching offer, but it's not me who's doing the coaching, it's it's one of the people in my company. Would you still do it? This kind of thing. Right. And, and see where are the limits where you start getting no's. And if you if if you've gotten a bunch of no's, if you know this is what people are excited about, but this is not you know, this is they're not willing to pay this much. They're not willing to travel to a location to do it. They're not willing. Whatever. Right then you can really start boxing in this idea of what are people willing to do? what What is the exact thing that people are excited about? And how can I get this off the ground?
1: I think all of these are very good questions that you just raised and questions that most people will be afraid to ask when they are in an interaction with somebody. And probably most of these questions will also throw the other one off a little bit. Because like you just said, people usually are just like, oh, yeah, okay. And they are used to when they just say, oh, okay, that sounds interesting. Then nobody asks them anything anymore. But if you really push them and you ask specific questions um, like like the ones just before, then you will get so much more information.
0: Yeah. I mean, what don't you like about my thing Is is one of my favorite questions to ask. And if you follow the Thrive Themes blog, you've seen this a couple of times, right? I've done... Um I've done posts and updates where my main question at the end is tell us what you don't like, right Tell us what you don't like about thrive themes. Um, and also if you've ever met me in person and we've talked about business, then then I've probably asked you that question at some point, right? if you're a thrive themes user, I've probably asked you what don't you like about this because it's you know it's it's great to get praise, right and we get we get a lot of praise, right we we often, we've also had posts where we just have like a hundred comments or more telling us how much they like our stuff. And this is great, right? This feels wonderful and it's very validating, but it's so much more um, valuable in terms of being able to move forward and building something better. It's so much more valuable to know what people don't like and what their biggest frustrations are.
1: And one, one other thing that I want to add to that, because, um, I've been doing that a lot also Again, what don't you like about our products and first of all people are like ah oh, well maybe this thing na, na, na. and then if your answer is like oh yeah that's like we really have to improve that then they feel safe in actually giving you real feedback because if then your first reaction is like oh no actually that's perfect then you just shut them down again and so again like this whole Just staying open minded and agreeing that maybe for them, it's not the best solution, even though you were hoping it was, um, it's super important here.
0: That's a really good point. Yeah, it's important to not be defensive, right? Always be open. Even even if the criticism is uh, is a bit daft, basically. <laughs> Always be open to understanding that, you know, try to see where the where this person comes from. And and yeah, don't be defensive because then you're you're shutting down that avenue, like you like Hannah just said, like you're shutting down that avenue for future feedback like that. So that's that's a very good point. Yeah.
1: Which doesn't mean that you have to accept all feedback either, right? Yeah, you don't have to say <laughs> yes to everything. I mean, if someone exactly, like if somebody is like, Oh yeah, well you should give it away for free <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, well. Not gonna
0: do that. Thank you for your input. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Now, one more thing, we're about to get into the action steps. So we're about to summarize the exact steps for you to take to refine your offer and find the most irresistible one out of the ideas you have. But Before that, let me also say that, of course, in the show notes, we will have a summary of this. We will have all of this as a reference, so you can see exactly what to do and what we talked about. But for this, interviewing people, I am not going to provide a specific script or a specific list of questions to ask. And I do that deliberately because in my experience, this kind of, this kind of general feeling that you get for what people want, you know, the kind of general feeling of, yes, this is something people like, this is something people don't like and so on, arises out of having real discussions. And it's very different from the kind of information you get from sending out surveys. So this is something I've noticed very much for myself, right? We have done so in my, for my businesses over the years, I've done countless surveys and polls and things like that. But I've also talked to a lot of people and these two types of information are very different because like surveys and polls can help give you insight, can help Um, you know, get good information, but talking to people, just having a discussion. And basically, and this is why I'm not providing a script, right? Because if you have a script, then it's basically like an in-person survey. But if you actually just have a discussion with people and, and let that discussion go wherever it will go, then that creates over time, this acute feeling of what do people generally want here? You know, what are people generally into? And I think that's absolutely priceless. That's a really, you kind of develop an instinct, right? You start developing an instinct. And I don't think you can get this if you just follow a script and make it an in-person survey. So I just wanted to add that like I'm, I'm being deliberately slightly vague about how exactly this discussion should go. Because really what I want you to do is I want you to open the discussion and then just let it take its course. With that, let's get into the action steps. So step number one. Create a list of three to five offers you want to test following the the first thing we talked about in this episode, right? So think about how can you spin out your skill into different offers? How can you spin out a product into different value propositions? What are different modalities of how you could sell your product and who might be interested in them for each of these offers? You want to have an idea of this is my offer and this is these are the people who would be interested in this. Now, it should be a list of three to five offers. If you have fewer than three, that means you have too many eggs in one basket and you'll get overly attached to those few ideas. Uh, I'll link to my video about the combination of focus and experimentation, which was one of the keys to how I started kind of getting some traction in my online business, uh, I'll link to that video that explains basically in more detail why you should avoid having all your eggs in one basket in this way. So that's why three or more. If you have more than five ideas, I think you can right away do some triaging. Basically, you know, pick the best five out of a out of a long list, because if you have a list of like 15, um, then that will be much more difficult to to validate, much more difficult to get enough data. And I think, you know, in a, in a, if you write down all of your ideas, let's say you've got 15 of them, you step away from it, you look at it again the next day, you can probably already tell, you can probably get a fairly good just gut feeling about which ones you can toss out right away. So three to five different offers you want to test. That's step one. You write those down. For each of those offers, create a concise, Extended elevator pitch, like the ones I made for Thrive Architect. So like I said, this is a bit more than an elevator pitch. It should be maybe one minute, up to one minute, if you explain this. And you should write this out, basically one paragraph, right? That explains what what the offer is.
1: Are there some specific things that people have to include in this extended elevator pitch?
0: I think what definitely needs to be in this extended elevator pitch is, is the problem and how your things solve, solves that problem. Right? I think you should be explicit about, you know, here's the thing that, uh, here's the thing that I assume you're experiencing, right? Here's like whatever a problem or a frustration or something that, that costs you more time than it should or whatever. And then here's how my offer solves that in most cases, an offer will be focused around some kind of a problem. The problem can also be, you know, I think it's also important to keep in mind that the problem here doesn't have to be some tragic, you know, crippling issue, right? Uh, a problem can be, you know, if someone's if someone's into I don't know uh, model trains, right? You know, there you could you could easily say that whatever problem you may have with your model train is is. You know, how what does it matter in the in the grander scheme of things? This isn't like a, a life destroying problem, right? But still, if you're into model trains and you're, I don't know why I always use this example because I don't know anything about model trains, but you know, <laughs> presumably, whatever you know, the the glue you use to to stick together your train models isn't, isn't quite, you know, it doesn't quite live up to your standards. Well, that's that is a valid problem, right? In my pitch, I would mention, you know, do you, do you hate getting. Glue on your fingers when building model trains. I really, I really have to find a better example. <laughs> <laughs> but I
1: think it's it's true that we just have to. You're not curing world hunger every time that you offer something to people, where well, basically a problem is is an annoyance in somebody's life that you can help solve. It. So I'm going to put you on the on the spot here about the pitch because I think it's it's very valuable to get this right because I've been pitched to a lot and in a very bad way um, where the offer might be good but the way they presented it wasn't very good so the service or the productized service or whatever that I have in mind is um, I don't know why mine is always photography and again I'm not a photographer at all Um, but imagine that you want to offer Um, an online business a package where every month they get uh, five stock photos that are related to their niche that are
0: only for them like how would you pitch that okay so i would first of all i would think of a target audience for this and let's say it would be bloggers right Be bloggers who are or or people running blogs so I'm not talking about personal bloggers here people who kind of run a blog where they're publishing at least several times a week and I would say okay if you're running a blog you know that the image matters a lot you you need an image you need a featured image but you also need images to post on social media and so on when you share and you know that this can make a huge difference to your click through rate to how people engage with your post and how, what your brand looks like on social media and the engagement you get there. So featured images are important and there's good news and bad news. You have easy access now to free photos. Free photos have become very easy to find, but everybody's using the same kinds of photos, the same kinds of hipster, type filters. And so if you use those photos, your blog and your brand doesn't stand out anymore. This is where my service comes in. We create based on your brand, we create specific customized photos for you, send them to you and we add some kind of a brand flair to these pictures. They're ready for you to use right away. They're uniquely branded to your site and they will help you be more professional, stand out from the crowd and get, better social branding as well.
1: Nice. (laughs) So if we quickly analyze it, first you paint a picture about the importance of of pictures, in this case, of the image. So the reason why people should be interested in your topic, basically. And then what you did was show the solutions that were already out there, but also the problems with those solutions. And then you pitch your own solution and tell them why it would be better so i think that's a pretty good
0: structure that people
1: would be able to follow
0: too i think there's an important thing here that we haven't mentioned yet which is which is what you just alluded to which is that you have to assume that people are already scratching this itch as you say right the people are already implementing some kind of solution of their problem they're already essentially whatever the thing is that you're talking about People already have a solution or they're already coping in some way. So it's very rare that you just step into a total vacuum and it's like, hey, you know, you've know, you never considered this, here's a totally new way of doing things, right? It's usually not the case. So I think it's important to acknowledge, okay, this is the situation that you currently have, this is the solution you currently have, and here's why my thing is better. Um, so I often also, I do kind of you know competition, thinking about the competition and thinking about what are people already doing, Um, and how does my thing compare to other um, available options is a pretty important way in how I think about offers as well. All right, so then we have a pitch like this for each of our ideas for offers. Next, create one landing page for each of these offers. And this is important for two reasons. First of all, It is great, and this is one of the things that landing pages are literally made for, right? It's great to have some place you can send people. And if you don't know what to put as a call to action, as a conversion goal on your landing page, simply have a sign up form, right? Simply have like sign up to the waiting list basically. But also a landing page, I want you to think of it as a landing page that is, it's a short landing page, right? This is not like an extensive sales page or something. This should be the kind of landing pages you can put together in half an hour or so you know, large headline, maybe a few bullet points or a few paragraphs of text and then your button or your sign-up form. And this is another great exercise because you should be able to clearly communicate your offer, the point of your offer and who it's for on a concise landing page like this. So if you've written out your your extended elevator pitches and you've created a landing page, at this point in your mind, you've already refined the idea of this offer quite well. So that's one of the reasons to do it. The other reason is, like I said, it's great to have a place to send people. Right? Once you talk about people, and they're like, "Well, okay, how do I learn more about this? Where, you know, where do I get this?" It's great to have that ready and be like, "Okay, yes, here's the URL. Go here." Next step: identify the ideal audience for each of these offers, and at least one very specific place where these people hang out, and that's where you then figure out how to reach them, as we talked about previously. You know. Do you hit the pavement? Do you get on the phone? Do you ask your friends, whatever? So for each offer, you have to have a clear idea and at least one place where you can go and start reaching out to people. And then last step, start the interviews. Like we talked about, get on the phone with people, talk to them about your offer or meet them face-to-face, talk about your offer and get into those discussions to start developing the offer and start identifying the one that's going to work best. As a quick reminder, the goal here is not to have five different offers and you know, start selling all of them. The goal is to find the best one to start with. And one criterion for which one is the best one is which one can you make money with the soonest, you know, and which one can you make the most money with. And I think this is important because, you know, even if the it's not always the best idea to go after the most money. But looking at where can I make the most money the fastest is a good way to get a business off the ground, right? The other things you can do later or, you know, once you can pay the bills, everything else becomes easier. So that's why that's one of the things I'd look for. Where can I make the most money right now? All right, and that wraps up our second episode on how to create irresistible offers. I hope you found this useful. For all the show notes and links to everything we talked about, go to activegrowth.com forward slash 16. So show notes, links, all that, activegrowth.com forward slash 16. If you enjoy this podcast and if you get value out of it, we would love to hear back from you. And also, if you know anyone who could benefit from the kinds of things we talk about in this podcast, if you know someone where you think they might appreciate a podcast that gets down to business instead of the fluffy nonsense that is in many marketing podcasts, do us a favor and send them a link to one of our episodes or send them a link to activegrowth.com forward slash podcast. And of course, we also appreciate the positive reviews and ratings that we've been getting on iTunes. We've also gotten some really good feedback and great questions through our audio messages. Here's an example of one of those messages.
2: The Your Job Is To Ship podcast series was quite frankly the most powerful and most needed podcast series I've ever listened to. Because as I was listening, I realized that I'm in the exact same situation that you are describing. I was spending the most, most of my time doing the stuff that at some point has to be done, but it's not actually pushing my business forward right now. But I was avoiding the actually really important stuff, which was content creation and contacting clients or just getting my product out there to some people. So what I did was create a new daily reminders list, just as Shane suggested, and I came up with five points and three of them were actually your job is to ship. So as I reviewed them daily in the morning, I always ask myself, what is the one thing I actually have to do right now that's actually pushing my business forward? So in the morning, I started doing the contact creation and actually contacting customers. And in the last week, I feel like I've progressed so much more in the business than in the last month. I got a new customer that pays very well, which I always was afraid to to contact before because I thought my product wasn't worth enough, wasn't good enough. So, seriously, thank you so much, Shane and Tonne. These podcast series actually had such a big impact on myself and on my business. Thanks so much. Greetings from Germany. Greetings from Tim.
0: We appreciate this. This is, of course, great to hear for us. I mean, this is the reason we do this. As you probably noticed, we don't have any ads on this podcast. We don't basically don't monetize this podcast in any way. Really, we're doing this because We feel like there's, you know, we have some valuable stuff to give and and we want to give it. And so hearing about people who take action on this and get great results from it is super, super gratifying. So thank you very much. And if you have a message like this, you can leave a review on iTunes or on Stitcher. Leave a comment or go to activegrowth.com forward slash 16 and click on the audio message button there to leave a voice message of your own. And that is it for today. Thank you for listening and I'll catch you in the next episode.